um, we will uh, actually going to take it take on a challenge or a portion of scripture I believe is very familiar to many of us and uh, happens to be one of my favorites anyways let me put it that way so Philippians chapter number three as you're turning there let me do this if I had two envelopes I meant to have two envelopes up here and uh, two envelopes and give you an option on let's make a deal now I uh, I don't know about you but I like that game show that's one of my favorite game shows. I like that game show, Let's Make a Deal. So if I had two uh, two envelopes and I said door number one is over here and it represents this uh, envelope and door number two represents this envelope, you tell me which one would you like? Which one would you like? Some of you got a number picked out in your head already. You would want door number one or you would want door number two. Well, door number one, well, it has car keys and a remote control car. Oh, man. That's just wrong. And door number two, I got to see you raise your hands. How many of you picked door number two? Just out of curiosity, door number two. Don't be lying. Some of you, I see, I can I can tell. We're in church now. Jesus knows. There are $20 over there. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, I see how it is. See, it's not hard to be encouraged when you win. It's not hard to be encouraged when you win. I, uh, but life is not filled with winning. Have you noticed that? Life just is not filled with winning. Life is, has a lot of losing to it. And there's a lot of failure. You, how do you face your failures? That's the question. How do you face your failures? And Do you let them destroy you or do you let them drive you? It's, uh, it's our response to failure that holds the potential to shaping our destiny. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about life choices. Life choices. There are some phrases. Some of you, you've heard me preach so long that you go, I guarantee I've heard a couple of those, uh, uh, we, uh, I call them padisms, that, uh, uh, that I have. And uh, I know the kids know a few of them uh, that they could rattle back at me pretty quick and a couple of you have already started thinking, oh, uh, it's coming, it's coming, this one's coming, or that one's coming. Uh, good luck. I'm not going to give you a clue tonight on which ones are going to be there. But life choices. And I want you to notice in Philippians chapter number 3, beginning in verse number 13. Chapter 3, verse number 13, he says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I love those two verses. We can grab hold of those two verses and we can look and, and see. And it's an amazing thing. So let's take a journey with me, if you would. At the age of 15, it's an awkward age. Anybody agree with me? At 15, it's an awkward age. No longer a child, not quite an adult. Sophomore at Laney High School in Wilmington, North Carolina, a 15-year-old uh, determined to try out for the varsity basketball team. Young man was, was beyond determined. Matter of fact, truthfully, he literally, he didn't have much of a shot. He'd throw the ball toward the hoop, and it was as if an invisible hand would shove that ball aside. He had a terrible shot. He... Uh, but, you know, whenever he threw the ball towards the hoop, well, there it is. 
No one was surprised when he did not make the team at 15 years old. Not the least bit surprised. Well, what did surprise them was how he reacted to not making the team. Rather than making or, or walking away in defeat, it made he made a decision to practice. He made a decision to practice. He practiced for hours. He determined to uh, make his errant shot arc straight to the basket. He had worked on it. He worked on it. He spent endless hours in the gym. Few people could, would deny the life-changing proportions of his decision that he made. See, that teenager who failed to make the high school basketball team is a name that anybody over the age of 30 knows. And his name's Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan. He, uh, see, everybody likes to go, oh, wait a minute here, Michael Jordan. You see, failure is one thing that we can say is a universal experience. It's universal. Everybody's going to have, <coughs> excuse me, a moment of, of failure, a moment of, of trial. It transcends time. It transcends culture. It transcends age and gender, geography, social position. Most defeats in life are far more serious than failing to make the school team. We can become devastated by, oh my Lance, flunking out of school, being fired from a job, drinking, driving, bankruptcy, divorce, lying, falling short as a parent. But what is not shared often is the common reaction to failure. And yet it's precisely our response to failure as opposed to failure itself that holds the potential to shaping our destiny. How are we going to respond when the trouble times or when the difficult times, when they come? We can use our training and, and better ways to respond to the inevitable failures of life. And if failure becomes the final word, then all is lost. Emotions are defeated. Dreams are allowed to fade. And the will will steadily endure and prevail is totally lost. So Proverbs 23, verse number 7 reminds us, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. We have to refuse to allow failure to have the final say. We have to pull ourselves from the rubble. We have to resolve to change. We've got to be ready to, to, to make change. We have to allow ourselves the motivation to persevere, giving rise to the flow of, of new ideas and the assurance of a second chance. See, the Bible gives us practical prescription for such a, a course of action. The backdrop is found in Paul's letter to the Corinthians where he states how he dealt with failure in his own life. By his own admission, he had experienced uh, prison public floggings. He uh, had taken a beaten, lashings, sickness, illness unto death, beating, stoning, shipwreck, homelessness, hunger, intense emotional stress. You could read it all and, and walk down through in verses uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verses 23 through 27. He gives you the whole shopping list all the way down through there. Yet after each blow, Paul continued to carry on. He kept going and he kept moving. By the end of his life, he had single-handedly taken the gospel to virtually every corner of the then known world by while offering most of the New Testament or, and writing it along the way. So what's his secret? Well, it can be found in those two verses tucked away in the church of Philippi. 
In verses 13 and 14, as we read earlier, he said, I didn't count myself. I haven't apprehended myself. I, I don't think that I've got a, the handle. I don't think that I'm above everybody else. And he says, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forget the things that are behind us. Have a short memory. Now, the older we get, that's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Say, preacher, don't pick on us right now. And uh, having a short memory, we don't want to go down that road. That's not, uh, not funny. But release the past. Letting go of the past. Forgetting what's behind. Reflecting on the future. Paul chose to let go of the past. Looking ahead doesn't mean we merely shove them aside pretending they never happened. Looking ahead means we consider how we can avoid making the same mistakes that we made in the past. Looking forward and, and looking ahead. But the key is not to get bogged down by the past. Paul tells us to let go of what's behind us and look forward to what lies ahead. He says, press toward it. For I press toward the mark. I press toward that mark. And we'll, we'll let go of our past failures while never allowing them to become a ball and chain that, that keeps us from moving ahead in our lives. Eddie Robinson, legendary football coach at Grambling State University, coached the Tigers through 25 consecutive seasons. I love coaching stories, and he's a good one. He set a new record as a coach at the time, the most wins in college football history. <coughs> Excuse me, when the Tigers suffered a loss to unranked Jackson State, Television sportscaster asked him about the loss. Robinson simply stated that his team hadn't played well, and he added, you can't unring the ball, the bell. You can't unring it. It's over. You need to immediately get started and get ready for the next game. You know, the Bible teaches us that this can be done with confidence because in Philippians chapter 1, verse number 6, Paul says, I'm sure that he who began a good work in you Will perform it. He who began the good work within you will, will continue until the work's finished. You, you we walk through and you go, there's the, the picture. As a child of God, God's working in our life and he's working toward a goal. He wants to shape us. He wants to mold us and move us to his perfect will. I love the, that picture, which is, is the image of Christ. Even when we fall, God desires to begin again right where we are. Even when we stumble and we, we fall flat on our face, he's ready to pick us up and get us moving again. See, there's a junior executive on the managing team of I, on, a, on an IBM management project. He lost $10 million before the project was finally scrapped. Unbelievable amount of money. He was called to Tom Watson Sr.'s office and the founder and leader of IBM for 40 years and, and one of the great business legends of, of all time. But when the junior executive was ushered into Watson's office, the young man looked at him and he says, I suppose you want my resignation. And Watson shook his head and, and exclaimed, you must be joking. I just invested $10 million into educating you. I can't afford to take your resignation. See, we, we, when we fall, we often want to hand God our resignation. We want to say, oh, I'm a miserable failure. I can't do anything for you. But when we get right down to the nitty-gritty of who God is, he says that's what grace and mercy is really all about. 
He says, I want to pick you up right where you are. He wants to take our failures, have us learn from them, and then move into the future. But to do this takes purposeful focus because not everyone around us shares God's view for our life. Not everybody around us. school teacher told a seven-year-old boy he should drop out of school because he wasn't creative enough and was virtually unteachable. How'd you like to have you kids? Wouldn't you love to have that teacher? Woo, I'm ready to go. That was Thomas Edison's teacher. That was Thomas Edison's teacher. You go, oh, wait a minute. He, he doesn't minimize the significance of those failures. You, you look and you go, there's the, the amazing piece of, of walking through. There's nothing within God's counsel that would warrant us turning our back on the lessons to be learned. says but you say you don't know about my failure that's true and I want to remind you you don't know about mine either but here's the secret I do know about God and he's big enough for all our failures I know that our savior can meet us right where he was if, it, if it's a moral failure failure due to sin or disobedience we need to remember the word forgive I like this word. As I was reading the, the other day, I loved it. I was reading and I said, uh, forgive. And I read the definition of this, this author that was writing and I, I went, yeah, at first. Because it said forgive. To bleach it out. And at first my, 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 my yeah, I'm, I'm looking at Jocelyn. She's scribbling it out. It says bleaching it out. But you know what? I have learned about bleach is bleach does not get rid of the marks, does it? Those marks are still all over. My goodness, I was good for getting grass stains on my clothes. I was really good at getting stains all over my clothes. And I'm still really good at getting grass stains or, or stains on my clothes. They're just a little different stains now. <coughs> Behave yourself down front here. We can turn loose of the past because when he says it's forgotten, it's forgiven, it's been taken care of, I can say it's a blessing. It's a blessing. It's not held over. The heart of God toward, toward our sin and failure is not of one of condemnation, but reformation. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. He said, there he is. God isn't interested in taking our failures and condemning us and hanging them out in public. He didn't want to take all those failures and, oh, let's see here, let's hang those things up across here and, and show everybody our failures. Whether our failure was, was a simple carelessness or the ability to perform uh, or the inability to perform up to a standard, or seemingly a random string of circumstances. We need to refuse to let it define us for the rest of our lives. God, I'm not going uh, to let that thing control me. We need to let it become a page in a journal. We need to allow it to be a stepping stone for our future. It should never become the reflection in our mirror. 
grab hold of the future, looking forward. What does he tell us to do? Looking forward to that which lies ahead. Paul lays out the, the, the life map for us. It's not enough to say, well, I blew it once. I've asked God to forgive me, so that's that. No. The Bible says, turn our eyes on what lies ahead. Look forward. Looking ahead doesn't mean we don't try to learn from our past mistakes and failures. Dutchman gave a painting a whirl. Only to have someone remark. He said that painting would scarcely be remembered. That's kind of rough about somebody's painting, isn't it? Guess who that author was, who that artist was? That was Rembrandt. A boy was told by the poor, uh, uh, he was a poor student, especially in mathematics, because of his perceived mental slowness and the ability to perform. A schoolmaster even went so far as to say to the 10-year-old boy that he would never amount to much. Now think about that for a minute. You'll never amount to much. You know who they were talking about? They were actually talking about Albert Einstein. His mom said, no, I've had enough of that. And in 1962, some of us might remember these folks, Decca Recording Company told four young men that uh, they, uh, they didn't, uh, their sound, that was not for the day. It was old. It wasn't supposed to be there. And that groups with guitars were on their way out. Wow. I don't think John, Paul, George, and Ringo took that very well but they continued. Isn't it interesting how wrong people are? A few look past our failures and into the future for us. They don't have the ability. Only you have that ability. It has to be personal. It has to be personal. It's not just walking through life with a positive attitude, but it's knowing that there's more to meet the eye. An econom economist, I'm sorry, was talking to group business people. She tacked up a, a big sheet of white paper, and then she drew a black dot on the paper and asked the man in the front row what he saw, and the man replied, a black spot. Black spot. When the speaker asked every person in the room the same question, each of them saw the black spot. Everybody saw. There's that big sheet of paper, there's a black spot right in the middle of it. And everybody in the room said, the speaker said, yes, there's a little black spot. But never, none of you mentioned the big white sheet of paper. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. See, past failures can look like a black spot. But God doesn't look at the black spot. He looks far beyond to see the largeness of his plan that he has for your life and mine. See, in failure, we have to go to grab hold of the future. Move ahead. I press toward the mark for the prize. You look at it and you go, there he is. He, he gives it very simple. He says, he says I, 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 let's go back to verse 13. He says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind, I reach forth to those things which are before, and I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I press toward the, the mark. He says, there he is. After you forget your past, you look forward to what lies ahead. Paul goes on to say, I press toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. 
we have three course corrections are, are critical. The difference between failing and being a failure is find, found right here. <coughs> Excuse me. Do you press on or not? Lots of people have simply adjusted to past failures. May, many have caught a vision of life that could lie ahead, but not very many press on. Paul did. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. We're pressed uh, every day on every side of the troubles. We're crushed. We're broken. We're perplexed. We don't give up. We're hunted down. Uh, God never abandons us. We get knocked down, but we get up and we keep going. The choice to press on is our life, and our life is so critical we need to, to capture another viewpoint. The author of Hebrews elaborates on the theme, and it's so great. It gives us a compelling blueprint for the perseverance we need. In Hebrews chapter 12, in verses 1 through 3, when he says, Since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. I love that portion of scripture. I'm surrounded by, by so great a cloud of witnesses. We can look at it and, and just jump in. And look at, he says, chapter 12 and verse number 1. When he says, we, seeing we also compass about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which just so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set down before him endured the cross, despising the shame, to set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I don't know about you. I can't hardly read that without getting excited. I look at it and go, there he is. Consider him. Verse 3, consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be weary and faint in your minds. Consider what happened to him. And he continued on right to the cross for you and I. Look what the writer of Hebrews challenges us to do in this aspect of pressing on, having perseverance. Remember others in the race that have, have, have set the pace. The Bible says, take heart, folks. Other people have made it. They can, so can you. Not only are we surrounded by the heroes of faith, but we have the life of Jesus himself urging us to go on. <clears throat> I have to ask, how many of you like to run some of you like to run like to run a long ways some of you I like seeing hands raised for running how many of you know what it's like to run a four minute mile a four minute mile now I'm telling you a four minute mile that's a long way one mile the whole mile in four minutes so if you go over there to the high school track and you get on that track, you'd have to run four laps and you have to do it in less than four minutes. Most of us shake our head and we go, not on your life. No way, no how. I, I couldn't do it. People trying to, to achieve this speed did so in the days of the ancient Greeks. Clear back when the Bible was written, folks were trying to reach that goal. And folklore has it that the Greeks set lions loose to chase the runners, thinking that it would make them faster. I'm telling you what. Matter of fact, folklore also says they tried drinking tiger's milk. But nothing the Greeks tried worked. They decided it was impossible for a person to run a mile 
in four minutes or less. For more than a thousand years, everyone accepted the assumption. They just accepted it. Bone structure was wrong. Wind resistance, too great. We had inadequate lung capacity. Then one man, a single human being, proved the doctors wrong. The trainers, the athletes, the hundreds of thousands of runners whom before had tried. All it took was for Roger Bannister to press on toward that goal. He made it. He made it. Kind of interesting, he achieved that goal under four minutes. Thousands of years, and people couldn't come close. And yet here he did it. Now watch what happens. Incredibly, the year after he did the unthinkable, 37 other milers broke the four-minute mark. My goodness. A year after that, 300 runners broke the mile mark. The four-minute mile mark. You look at it and you go, wait a minute. And do you know in a single race in New York, 13 out of 13 runners ran the race in less than four minutes? We look at it and you go, that's an unreal pace in a mile. And yet, when he did it, there were no great breakthroughs in training. No one discovered how to control wind resistance. Human bone physiology didn't suddenly mature. What changed? People saw that somebody else could do it. And they remembered the accomplishments of somebody else. And they said, I can, if they can do it, I can do it. They ran and they did it. They ran and they did it. Get rid of the things that weigh us down or trip us up. In ancient Greek, they would literally take the, the, the clothes off the runners so that they would be unencumbered as possible. It's with this in mind that the scripture teaches us that we should remove anything from our lives that would get in the way and what, those sins that hold us back. That we would lie aside, lay aside every weight that does so easily beset us. That we'd get rid of that weight. That we would remove, remove it. See, there are things in our lives that hurt our ability to endure. There's things in our lives that, that, that hurt our ability to earn. They slow us down. They get in our way. We can be held back by negative people who tell us, oh, we can't possibly do what we set out to do. We can be held back by bad habits. We can be held back by uh, spreading ourselves too thin and that we focus on, on a great achievement or a single area and we, don't, we can't stay focused. But the greatest thing that the book of Hebrews tells us that, that we get held back by is our sin. Sin's missing the mark. It's shooting the target and missing the bullseye. It's falling short of God's standard. It's difficult to be someone who lives life to the fullest, persevering to the end, if destructive activities are being participated in on a regular basis. Habitual patterns of sin, unconfessed, unrepented things, bring defeat and failure in your life and mine. 
failure costs us the battle and ongoing sin causes us to lose the war. I don't know what's what's sapping the strength from you and what's sapping my strength and, and the ability to endure, but if we're honest with ourselves, the Bible says to throw it off, give it up, walk away from it. When it comes to ongoing sin, we have to turn around and walk away. Run the race with patience. Run with endurance that the race that God has set before us, everything within us wants to stop, quit, give up. And he says, keep going. <clears throat> There's a runner with great patience. His name is simply known as Rudy. Rudy. He's a kid who wanted to play football for Notre Dame more than anybody in the world. You look at that young man and you'd say, there he was. There was a movie made of him. It was based on the story of Daniel Rudy Runninger. He was the, the first of 14 born into a full working class family in Juliet, Illinois. Uh, not a, a particularly fast athlete. He was small for the football. He was 5'6", uh, and he weighed 190 pounds. His grades weren't impressive. He was a D student who graduated from high school with a 1.77 grade point average. He attended junior college for one semester and flunked every class. He went to work for a couple of years at a, a local Commonwealth Edison power plant and, and then did a two-year stint in the U.S. Navy. After his military service, he returned to Juliet to work in a power plant, not exactly the route that any would would take to find themselves on the roster of the Fighting Irish. You go, no, that's not the route. But then he quit his, he quit his job. He moved to South Bend, Indiana. He managed to get into Holy Cross College. He attended the college for two years, and he earned a GPA of 4.0. That's impressive. His grade point average in high school was 1.77, and now he's in college getting a 4.0. And then he accepted, he was accepted into Notre Dame. The dream that was in his life to, to, to play football in Notre Dame, to be fulfilled at 18, took place at age 26. With two years of sports eligibility remaining, he tried out for the football team. He made it on as what they'd call a scrub. A scrub. Now, follow me with this because this is kind of funny. He is a warm body put into practice to keep the real players sharp. That's a scrub. That's what his job was. But Rudy worked hard and he kept at it. He rose from the bottom of the scrubs, from the sixth string, and then onto the top of the scrubs to be the one that would, was there preparing the team. In the final game of his final season, Rudy achieved his lifelong dream by getting to play. Really? By getting to play ball? He fulfilled his dream. Some of you go, oh, I saw the movie. In the movie, he got in for only one play. But uh, in real life, he actually got in the game for two. In the movie, you didn't see the first play. In the first play, he failed miserably made a tremendous mistake and then the second play they left him in for the second play he uh, he didn't let his failure make him a failure 
on the second play, he got to the quarterback, and for the first time in history of Notre Dame football, a player was carried off the field on the shoulder of his teammates. The writer of the book of Hebrews underlined the Apostle Paul and tells us, you and I have got to persevere. We've got to run with patience the race that we have. There are mistakes and challenges that are going to come along. Anybody that doesn't make mistakes, we're, you're fooling yourself. And there are times when we feel like a failure, but it's important for us to get up and go on and continue moving on. Twenty thousand people completed the nineteen eighty six running of the New York Marathon. The person who finished last was a name by the name uh, a gentleman by the name of Bob Wiley. Took him four days, two hours, forty eight minutes, and seventeen seconds. I don't know about you, but I shake my head at that and I go, what? Four days? Two hours? 48 minutes and 17 seconds. It's the slowest record in a marathon history, but he finished it. And that's what mattered. You see, 17 years earlier, Bob lost both his legs. He served our country. And he lost both, our, both his legs in war. To run, Bob had to cover his fists with pads and run with his arms. He averaged about one mile an hour, and why did he do it? Because Bob knew that the real issue wasn't how fast you run or the setbacks you have along the way. It was whether or not you have what it takes to finish the race. Finish the race. We can succeed in pressing on if we lay hold of those truths that Paul gave us. Remember, there are others. They set the pace. Get rid of anything that weighs us down. Run the race with endurance. See, when those things work together in our lives, failures can't defeat us, and God stands, uh, and God is in the stands, and he's cheering us on. He's cheering us on. Now, I just... I can't help it. Release the past. Let go of the past. Forget that which is behind. Grab hold of the future. Look forward to what lies ahead. Move ahead with your life. Press toward the goal. Press toward the mark for the, the prize that God has called us to. <coughs> what an exciting time to look and say, what is it that he's moving us forward for? We can look back and go, well, we've made mistakes. Time to lay the weight aside and let's move forward. Let's lay that sin aside and let's move forward. Here I am, Lord. Here's my heart. Here's my life. Here, Lord Jesus. It's time that I surrender. It's time that I give you to you. It's time to quit arguing with you over who's boss, Lord say here I'm ready to press forward I'm ready to press onward I'm ready to move with you Lord Jesus with him at the helm with him directing the ship 
instead of me going, oh, I want control. But to say, Lord, guide and direct us as you see fit. I press toward the mark, the prize of the high calling of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father God, I ask that you'd help each one of us. <coughs> Lord, that those sins that do so easily beset us, that we grab hold of, lay them aside. And Lord, I'm thankful that your blood's strong enough. Lord, that you have given us the instruction to the pulling down of strongholds in our lives. So Lord, I ask that you help us to come and just lay aside the weight that does so easily beset us as Hebrews says that we'd press toward, forgetting those things that are behind and pressing toward the mark, reaching forward. Lord, I believe the greatness of tomorrow is better than the failures of the past. Lord, I believe the greatness of tomorrow is even greater than the past as well. So Lord, give us a boldness. Lord, help us to surrender ourselves to you. And Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.